You're listening to the World Football Program with all the latest updates from both local and international football. Morning WA, this is the World Football Programme and my name is Sean Kelly. I will be with you for the next two hours. Thanks to Celtic Ramblings and Richie, the internet sensation. Apparently he's saying something about Salah, but I don't know. I'm not a Liverpool fan myself, so... Never heard of it. I don't care. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, In two hours, Lenny and the Jazz Show will be on, so stick with myself and in the studio the Mayor of Millwall, the, <laughs> prin- the Prince of Peel, Jim Webb. Jimmy, good morning. How are you? Ride of Bermondsey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good showing yourself. Yeah, good, mate. Yeah, another big week in football. Um, I start off with the, the news last night from uh, the Asian Cup and Australia out 2-1 in extra time to South Korea. Um, a very good South Korean side. And I think, you know, <clears throat> as much as... Arnie and some of the boys are getting battered for having a, a poor game, poor game plan, etc., etc. They're still up against the quality side and, and certainly one of the teams that c- can certainly win the championship. So I think, um, yeah, we're out, but no disgrace. It's one of the favourites, I think, South Korea, aren't Absolutely, they? Absolutely, They always yeah. do well in the World Cup. So it's no, as you say, no disgrace there. And uh, <coughs> I think you uh, can tell that they've got they've got more Premier League players for a of start. Of course they have. So there's, there's the... Uh, but you you see some of the abuse that people like Mitch Duke are copying yeah. on um, on media. I think Robbie, Sa- uh, Robbie uh, Slater was quite... He was quite vocal, shall we say? He was, yeah. Um, and, you know, he, he seems to have forgotten that he was a fairly average player himself at times. And, uh, you know, to... to that vicious towards a current player is not good. No, not professional. No, it's not at Robbie, all. Come on, we all, we all like an opinion. Yeah, let's be constructive. And then when someone decided they would blame Arnie, he got quite defensive. So <laughs> yeah. you know, look, I don't know. Anyway, look, he's entitled to his opinion, yeah. but um, you you know, players do have feelings. 
they do. Make yeah. it more professional, Robbie. Everyone, absolutely. Let's promote the game. So on the show today, we've got um, a couple of players, ex-players, and have you? So we've got uh, Jimmy Samet from Ashfield. He was uh, installed as coach about a year ago, um, rather suddenly, and he's now had a full pre-season under his belt. So we'll talk to Jimmy about his transition from player to coach and um, a bit about Ashfield that he's putting together this year. Then Greg Farrell joins us. Greg has just come back from Sydney with Futsal WA and the um, guys over there representing the state and themselves extremely well. So we'll catch up with that. I think um, we certainly punch above our weight limit in that area. Mm. And uh, Greg and his, his bride are behind all of that. John Baird is uh, obviously your man from Mandra. Um, yeah. Heartbreak last year when they were right up there vying for automatic promotion, then had to qualify qualify through the playoffs and didn't. So, um, be interested to talk to John about you know how that inspires him and the team for this year, um, and the, the the rising quality within Division One because there's lots of players now with Andy Keogh and uh, Neil Kilkenny and uh, some others as well oh look there's plenty of others join joining the ranks in Divi 1 so it's a, it's a good league now it's got better every year and then we're going to finish off with Steve Nilkowski who it's quite funny you think about it um, last year was the first year Olympic Kingsway were in the top league mm. for about 17 years and it was like they'd never been away they were in the top three um, vying for the championship at one point and I think uh, they're again made some very good signings this year we'll talk to, to Steve about on and off the park because they're, Absolutely, they're yeah. certainly one of the, the teams to watch There's a lot of work been done on their ground because of the Women's World Cup um, they built that magnificent stadium so there's you know these are the things that we should be doing and, and I, I think you know one of the ways that they're doing is that professionalisation I see there's lots of moaning this year about um, all the compliance stuff there is around night series that players need to be registered and you know there's <clears throat> quite a bit of money. I, I find it quite interesting that for years people have moaned about Football West not being able to manage the competition. And then when they do, they all go, oh, they're managing the competition. How very dare they? <laughs> We'd rather they didn't. Um, so, no, good on them. I think, um, you know, that that stuff is professionalising the sport across the board. NPL is a much better um, competition than it ever was. Divi 1 is certainly a much, much better competition. State League 2 is strong. So, you know, and yet, all of that stuff is good for football in general, not just for a particular club, but for everybody. So I think that's great. A good year ahead, maybe. Yeah, well, I would hope, hope so. so. I would yeah. yeah. Um, also on news, I had the pleasure of being at the Glory last night. If I didn't know better, I thought I'd have gotten a DeLorean <laughs> and gone back in time. No, no, it was everything. Everything was right last night. The the pre-season or the pre-match entertainment was certainly improving. Um, the halftime show, the, the girls were back, or a dance troupe, I think it was girls and boys, fireworks, the whole thing um, on the pitch. You just, the whole game, you know. I, I, I look at Stadjik and I think, you know, he is an absolute miracle coach. When you look at the side he's got, <laughs> that's basically last year's side without Jack Clisby, without Elsie, without Khalifi, without McEnough, Ryan Williams. And as much as he was the missing man, Sardinero. So all of those were stripped out. And, and we brought in Oli Sale, we brought in Sunya, we brought in, um, who else? Well, I think the fact is... Oh, Kamau? Yep, Kamau, yeah. yeah. And Coluccio. Uh, not big names, but with what is basically Ruben's squad from last year 
that couldn't win a raffle, never mind a game. <laughs> no, no, he's, he's turning around. This is a side that does, yeah, okay, didn't have all the possession, but, gee, when they go forward... That quick ball transition, the confidence going forward is... I, I love it when supporters say, oh, we had all the possessions and lost one, nil or four, two. Yeah. Hey, yeah. Th- there's only two stats that matter in a game of football. That's yeah. the home team goals and the away team goals. Absolutely. And if you get one more than your, than, than well, your position... Look, the Brazilian thing, you know, um, doesn't matter how many we concede as long as we score more. One more goal than him. That's yeah. It, yeah. And, and that's it. And it was... But it's exciting to watch. Whereas before, you know, we'd, we'd get to the edge of the, the penalty box and we'd pass it back to the keeper at some yes, point. Yeah. Why? You know? <laughs> and yes, OK, we had a couple of wild swings that were going nowhere. But you know what? At least they were going in the right direction. <laughs> and I think, you know... Uh, as much as people bag out the glory, I think they've got an absolute winner in Stagic. And um, Oli Sale last night, he was imperious. There was a number of shots on goal that I thought they were in and he's just flicked out a hand and caught them and he's just, he was in the right place a few times and that's all you need to be. Is this the start of the uh, playoff push, or do you think it's just too late? And ah, uh, uh, look, it's probably it is for next season. It is probably too late, but never write them off. I think no. um, the one thing I have seen from the from the glory this year is the harder things get, the better they've been, <laughs> um, and the more adversity they have. Um, decisions gone against them. You know, interestingly enough, and I, I thought this was quite interesting. Um, Carlucci was on a loan, which. Yeah. was ceasing on the 31st of January. Now, previous the previous loan for... Um, oh, what was his name? Anyway, the previous loan was, wasn't allowed to be renewed. And then we were forced into having Khalifi go to Melbourne. And I do know that the, the fan representative group, of which I am a member, did write a very strongly worded um, email to the um, APL, telling them we, we, as the representatives for the fans, thought it was disgusting what they had done mm. with the glory and not allowing them to to have those contracts renewed and being forced into having one of their starting players, because when he's fit, he's a starter, he's yeah. Khalifi, um, on, a, on a transfer. It was a polling, polling decision. Mm. You, know, you take you take one of the best players you've got in in the teams in the bottom half of the table and give him to the team at the top of the table. Just proves that he's a good player if he thinks that the top of the team table team can uh, yeah. think he's going to fit straight into their team. You know, is there any any update on the ownership of the glory? You know, there is absolutely no look. Quiet, the pe- apparently, people who know better than anyone else involved in it don't know. They <laughs> they say they say that they they it's a done deal. There, there is a very good chance that that group that were, were vying for it are in the box seat. Um, Corda Mensa are the only people that know. The club is is in the dark on this. Mm. The club do not get told until Corda Mensa make the decision. And I think after the last one where they, they jumped the gun and yeah. announced they had an owner, only to go back and go, oh, Oops. we may have <laughs> dropped the ball on that one. They're going to make sure that every single I is dotted, every T is crossed before they, as the and every receivers... every check has been cleared. Absolutely. Once the money's in the bank, and then they, as the receivers, will advise the club, you now have owners. And it won't be until that point that the club know. And I think some people think that the club are in charge of this. Cordamentha and the APL run this. Mm. It is purely down to them, and the club has no say in what goes on. It's so dra- dragging, though, isn't it? 
Oh, absolutely dragging, but that's what happens, I suppose, in, in the world of business. Um, and I think, you know, Phil was on here last week and he, or the last time I was on, and he went through a lot of the, the legalities of what's going mm. on. And once it's in the hands of the receivers, their, their job is to basically get rid of the asset. That's it. Yeah, let's get rid of everything that they can sell. And there's lots of complications in the background that I won't go into because I don't <laughs> have enough money to be sued. <laughs> but I will say, club has nothing to do with it. The club w- will probably get told last of all. Yeah. So APL will get told first. Um, they will agree to it, and then Cordamenta will, will tell them, "Yeah, you've now got new owners." All right. Um, in other news, Ruben Zadkovic, you may remember that name, was signed on <laughs> as the um, assistant coach at Brisbane. Mm-hmm. Very suddenly during the week, the head coach has had to take a leave of absence, and he's no longer the head coach. And Ruben has stepped up for a short period of time um, to fill the gap. So good luck to them. Yeah. On, there's another, I think there's players that left us to went to Brisbane because of him, but then we'll see what happens. Um, but, yeah, all the best there, coach. Um, media attention on football violence. There was um, Victory fans attacked some Sydney fans, and yeah, it's no mm. surprise it's Victory. They've, they've got a history of trouble. Just a touch. But it's, it's basically, Jim, it was handbags in the street, and no one's injured. They've all run away. There's been worse fights at the Aussie Rules football and at the rugby without any mm. media attention. This was nowhere near Millwall West Ham. Uh, well, I'll just say we're at a vintage that we yeah. we, we remember the uh, this the, is the this troubles is, from this the is not 70s and 80s. Yes. Not at all. Yes, absolutely. And, um, you know, and, and some of the stories there. And if we're going to talk about it... Um, Hugh, what's your team doing? They were a bit naughty at last weekend as well with the uh, West Brom Wolves derby that um, was a little bit naughty as well. Play was suspended for half an hour. I don't know whether you noticed that as well. But again, yes. looking at the video footage and it was... Yeah, yeah, all right, it's wrong. It's wrong. It shouldn't happen. But let's yeah. hope it's not creeping back into the game again. Um, I don't think it's ever really gone away, but it's always been off-site almost. But well, look, it's a, it's a tribal game. You do get oh, some yes. of that um, going on in the um, in the game. <clears throat> I think the balance in Australia has always been very nice. There's a bit of banter. We all banter with each other. You know, maybe a few signs of flash between people. Um, and very rarely does it end up in fisticuffs. Um, and it's certainly not like the, the darts, indiscriminate darts in the crowds that you used to get in the no, 70s. Right, yeah. yeah. Yeah, all sorts of things, darts, coins. I did, did, did see though, the, uh, the, 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 the lad at the West Brom going, collected all the coins and got about £24 he picks up. Oh, I, yeah, <laughs> uh, West Brom probably thought he was a takeover bid. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and look, West Brom... Um, I've always had those rivalries with their local teams. Mm. I mean, they're literally what, 50 metres between the two gate, two, the two um, grounds. So, it's uh, yeah, I'm not surprised it happens. Um, also, in local news, um, I did see a post from the Kilkenny family, Sean Kilkelly, um, much decorated player throughout the state and now one of the coaches at, um, I believe, at Sorrento, um, where he's been most of his life. I've known Sean since he was 10 or 11. Um, Has come out of a coma. He's conscious. I don't know what's happened to him. But, um, look, all the best to the family. Um, I know that um, they're they're very doting parents. um, Okay, yeah. Yeah, just one of our own is in need. So, look, thoughts and prayers for young Sean. Um, Great player and uh, developing coach. And I think, you know, 
there needs to be some wraparound. And I know for a fact that his, his mum and dad will. But, you know, there's no reason why we can't all show a little bit of interest as well. So, you know, heart goes out to him. Good luck, mate. All right. Um, we're going to go to a short break. We'll be back after this with Jimmy Samet from Ashfield. Oh, don't relax. I want elbows and backs. I want to see everybody from behind. Oswest Fencing and Royal Tine is a fourth-generation family business. Bring us about your custom gate and fence projects. We can manufacture, install or automate your gates offer electronic security, or simply just provide sound advice. Let our family look after your family. Oswest Fencing and Raw Tire. Call us on 9258-6822. Station sponsor. You're listening to Community Radio, powered by passionate football volunteers, just like myself. You can appreciate the entertainment by becoming a station member. Hi, I'm Phil Kelly, Chair of the Football West Men's State League Standing Committee. Listen in next for Western Australian local football news. Radio Fremantle, 107.9 FM. Now, we were just talking off-air there, Jim, about the, the night series. State League night series starts off tonight with um, State League 1 and 2 getting involved. And joining us right now is one of those coaches that will be involved for the first time this season in full-blooded action in Jimmy Samet. Jimmy, good morning. How are you? Hello, Sean. Good, mate. And yourself? Good. On the drive in this morning, I was thinking it's almost 12 months to the day that you were appointed as a coach. I think yeah, one of your first things was to, to lead your team into a, a night series game last year. Uh, yeah, pretty bang on, mate. I think it was a couple of couple of nights, uh, couple of nights before the first night series game. So, yeah. Yeah, 12, 12 months. Yeah, so it's been an interesting ride. Um, talking about interesting ride, though, I just want to get some, some background on you because you know, obviously you've, you've been a good player, but um, where did you start playing as a kid? Uh, as a junior, I was at Buckendean, actually, Caledonian. So that's where I started as a, as a um, little one, coached by Dad. Dad was coaching me for a, for a fair few years and then um, made the move to Perth as a junior. Hmm. And then from Perth? Uh, my first, uh, my senior football was at Inglewood. So I spent, um, yeah, a lot of time at um, Inglewood um, as a, yeah, as a 15, 16 year old. Um, that's where that's where I started. Hmm. And then obviously you progressed through other teams in the NPL. I know you were at Gwellup for a while. Yep, yep. Um, before moving to... Ashfield uh, was that yeah was that well up, um, and then obviously I had a, I broke my leg pretty bad there, mm. um, and that's when I uh, that was my first step into um, into coaching. So um, was helping obviously out for twelve months. So I was helping some of the junior boys there progress through the ranks and helping Richie um, with the reserves there, um, and then made um, made my way to Ashfield, mate. And a little bird tells me you were almost signed by the glory at some point. Uh, 
Uh, I was with the youth team for twelve months. Yeah. Uh, didn't didn't get no, didn't get the uh, didn't get the pro contract, um, unfortunately. But obviously, um, yeah, good good experience and uh, played with some very very good players. Yeah, I look and I think uh, as much as that glory system has been much maligned, um, uh, we go through the show. There's going to be we're going to be mentioning players that have been through that academy who are now basically the backbone of the MPL, and some of them have gone on obviously to play in um, in professional leagues. But you know, it's um, it's actually helped, I think, develop the the quality of, of football in this state. Yeah, it's another it's a, it's another um, pathway, obviously, which um, is fantastic for uh, the young kids and that I guess to strive towards, mate. Mm. Um, obviously, playing at a club level and then obviously um, being ambitious and having their sights set on something. Um, yeah, that that helps yeah. them as well going through the ranks. But as you know, it's a cutthroat market, and you know, the kids that aren't going to make it as a professional, and it's like one or two percent off being a professional. Um, come back into the State League or into the NPL and, you know, they're, they're good, solid performers at that level. Yeah, no, 100%, mate. And I think um, I think probably the biggest difference is, like, you look at the NPL system um, now, there's a lot of quality players that are playing in playing in that league that could um, quite comfortably, um, I believe, make the step into, into the A-League. And the biggest difference is probably just the amount they're training for days and the, and the time it's, it's full-time. Mm. Um, it's a, yeah, it's a full-time system. So um, I think in terms of the quality, the quality's there, but maybe not that the sharpness and the um, yeah that next level because they're not doing it uh, twice a day, um, every day. No, couldn't agree with you more. Um, all right, now you mentioned that your dad um, used to coach you as a as a junior. I've seen him watch you play, and I've also seen him watch you coach. He's still coaching you, mate. You may not know that, but he's still is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're not, you're not, you're definitely not wrong, mate. Um, you're definitely not wrong. We probably don't see as eye to eye as much as we did growing up, but um, it's always good to get that feedback, mate, no matter what it is, and um, reflect. So he's, yeah, he's been, he's been a massive part of. Um, yeah, me being able to do what what I can do and what I've done. So um, all I can do is thank him for that and um, still love having him coming to watch me, yeah. obviously both coaching and playing and, uh, yeah, having those having those football conversations. Absolutely. I was going to ask, is he your biggest fan or your biggest critic? Oh, it was uh, growing up, mate. It was, um, I couldn't, uh, didn't matter how good I played, um, I was always getting that beat. Getting that, uh, you could have done this better. You scored three, you should have scored four. But at the end of the day, mate, um, it's got me to where I was today. Mm. So, um, did, did yeah, you ever think about? So, when you were in your younger days, did you ever think that coaching was the route you were going to go down, or were you just going to be happy playing and playing until until you couldn't? And it's just unfortunate with your injury that you did did have to go into coaching. Um, I never, in my younger years, I never never thought about it too much, mate. It was always just play, 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 and. Um, try and get to the highest level as possible, um, and then obviously as a, as I got a little bit older, um, I think I always want to be involved, or I always wanted to be involved in some capacity. Football's been a massive part of my life since I was probably about four years old. Um, so whether that was in coaching or, or another role in football, um, but I guess I didn't actually start thinking about it too much until um, I was quite lucky because I never really had any any serious injuries until probably I broke my leg at about 28, um, yeah, I think it was 28, 29. 
Um, and then obviously um, you can't you, you do your own rehab and you can't play and sometimes watching football is the most frustrating thing you can do. So um, wanted to try and help out some of those junior boys. Um, and I was yeah, Richie. Richie, um, who's at UWA at the moment, he's the one that said, "Hey, can you come and come and help me?" Which is, I just think is fantastic. And um, yeah, then obviously uh, the opportunity arose twelve months ago, uh, yeah. where I was approached and said, "Hey, do you want to do this?" And I was doing it in some capacity anyway. Um, and yeah, obviously, didn't I didn't expect it to be this soon, mate? But um, it was no. a no-brainer for me. Um, but I did you to, yeah, did you find that when you were did you find when you were coaching those kids that you learned more yourself as a player because you're asking them to do some of the things that you didn't do or couldn't do? I, I know for myself, when I started coaching kids, I would send me a kick with both feet and I couldn't. <laughs> now, now I can, but that was because of them and, and the coaching role. Yeah, 100%. Um, and I think you see it like something we've done over the last 12 months as well is you see it differently on the sideline than you do. Um, obviously, when you're playing the game, so it's something that we're trying to instill into um, all of our players as well. And um, yeah, obviously, watching it, watching it from the sideline, uh, or getting some recording of the games and um, giving them some feedback like that. Um, yeah, I just think I think it's only beneficial, mate. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, Billy Connolly was a, a folk singer who started talking in between songs and the talking in between songs got longer and the, the <laughs> songs got shorter. Um, is that sort of the way it's happening for you? You were a, a player, um, part-time assistant coach. Now you were the coach or player coach. And over the season, your playing time kind of diminished. Are, are you now still a player coach or are you now 100% coaching? Uh, last season, it did diminish a little bit, um, and I guess that was giving, um, obviously, we had a lot of young boys come up through the ranks and giving them a fair few opportunities in that last year as well, which they're only going to be better better for. Um, at the This this season, I'll, um, like you're forever retired as well, so um, I'm putting a bit of work into trying to uh, really get my fitness to where it needs to be so that I can play some parts. Um, throughout the season, or most of the part, if possible, mm. what that entails um, is yet to be, yeah, it's yet to be finalised. But I guess at the end of the day, the best players will play. Um, the ones that are the ones that are putting in the work, and um, yeah, the ones that deserve to be playing on that Saturday. Um, all the boys, all the boys know that. So um, yeah, I'll be I'll be training and working. I'm lucky that um, I've got Nate Nate obviously assisting me again yeah. this year and. Um, yeah, he's he's there both nights, um, and we're we're on a very very similar uh, page when it comes to football as well, which I think is fantastic um, because it makes it makes uh, the things I do a hell of a lot easier. Now, um, now you mentioned so, Nathan Grostate, who's also come into a coach uh, coaching position because of the injuries he sustained, and I'm sensing a theme here because Lyle, the reserve coach is also a young man who stopped playing because of a serious injury. So um, is that one of the, the, the key requisites for being a coach at Ashfield now? What was that? Sorry, I missed the last bit. Is it to be a coach at Ashfield, do you need to have had a, a career-ending injury? Oh, I hope I hope not, mate. <laughs> um, but like I said, it just it just goes to show that the, the passionate people yeah. that, we, um, that Ashfield have had at the club, and um, if they are injured, they still obviously want to... 
they want to give back to football. They want to be involved in football. Um, I guess it's easy not to do anything. Um, but, yeah, like I said, it's, it's, it's the passionate people that we've got at the club that um, have been involved in football for the majority of their um, life, I guess, and, and yeah. want, to, want yeah. to give back and want to be involved. So I just think it's a positive. Now, with Nathan Grostate, you're very much co head coaches really I mean there's, it's very hard to decide which one of you is actually in charge um, do you play good cop bad cop or do you take turns or is one of you the taskmaster and the other one the, the, the shoulder to cry on no not really mate like I said we get on really really well and um, we talk we talk most days so um, we're nine nine and a half times out of ten we're on on the very very similar page mate and that's how it's always been which is nice um and the times that we're not, um, obviously, it's a good thing as well because obviously we eventually get to the right decision. Mm. Um, but the way we want to play, um, the buy-in from the players um, all pre-season and even even last year, um, yeah, when when I obviously stepped into this role, um, yeah, it's all been it's all been positive, mate. So, so what is your coaching philosophy? What what sort of a coach do you want to be? What sort of a team do you want to have? Um, I guess we've gone into too much, too much detail, but <laughs> yeah. we want to be a side that we want to very similar to how we played last year. I guess we want to be a side that have the ball. Uh, we want to play, we want to play football, um, but obviously move the ball quick and and we want to score heaps of goals. Yeah, uh, I think that was probably something that we need to work on from last year. We got into some really really good areas. Um, we weren't cl- we weren't anywhere near as clinical as we needed to be. So that's that's something that we've reflected on and um, are working towards this year. Um, but ultimately, yeah, we want to we the way we want to play means that we need to have we need to have the ball, we need to possess the ball. But obviously, you don't win games of football unless you put the ball in the back of the net. So mm. it's one thing possessing the ball, but you've got to be going forward with it as well. So, but it's important you've got players that buy into that club philosophy of part, and also that they buy into the philosophy of the the team. And I know you've done a lot of work on the, the culture of, of the playing group, which has uh, certainly been paying dividends because you've got a lot of players there that are there because they want to be. And I think that's, the, that's a very important thing um, as opposed to they're there for money or going to win a league or whatever, but they're there because they want to be. And in testament to that, I mean, you, you had a, a busy bee at the club and I think the first team were, were overrepresented within that, which is something that's never happened before. Yeah, yeah. I think first and foremost, mate, is you need you need that buy-in. I think um, one of the one of the strongest things um, at the club is the culture. I think we do have really really good culture, and that and that doesn't doesn't just stem down to what like obviously we're doing as coaching staff. I think that's obviously like the committee, everything, every single person involved behind the scenes at the club, including the committee, the volunteers. Um, yeah, obviously we we talk a fair bit, and we make sure that we're all on the same page. Um, and then that, and then that obviously helps the players buy in. So the players are obviously um, all buying into what we want to do. I think we've retained um, majority of our players from last season, um, which is a positive. Um, and then, like you said, on on Saturday, um, the boys all got to the club, and and that wasn't anything driven by us. That was driven by the leadership group, um, and they decided that. They wanted to make a few changes, and obviously they all got down there at six. I think it was six six thirty. Um, 
yeah, majority of them got down there and did what needed to be done um, at the club. So, yeah, it's good. It's good to see. So, so Jimmy, how's how's preseason going? Are you all prepared for your night series? I'm just looking at your group there. You've got Joondalup United, who were in the playoffs of Division One last year. Forestfield relegated from Division One, and and Kingsley Westside, who were obviously promoted from Division Two, and yourself. So, looking forward to the night series. Some good challenges there, and and, and how do you think you're going to cope? Let's say in the group, and is the aim to get out of the group and into the knockout stages? Yeah, yeah, tough, tough group, mate. Mm. Um, but I don't think there's any. I don't think it matters who we were grouped against. I don't think there's any easy matches in. Um, obviously, in the state league, um, you've got to you've got to look at every week um, as a challenging game and um, put your best foot forward to make sure that you are uh, do what you need to do to get get through or um, get the get the three points. Um, in terms of the night series for us, um, yeah, it's exciting. Uh, I think the way we're looking at it is you can play as many games during pre-season um, as you want uh, but ultimately it comes down to this, this Sunday night um, it's the first competitive match for the season and that's why all the boys put in all the hours and um, done what they needed to do to get to get to to get to Sunday uh, we'll put a squad together that uh, we put our squad together that we think is going to be um, all the boys that have done the right thing and will give us the best opportunity to to get a result on Sunday, um, in terms of in terms of the night series, obviously we're not going out to lose any matches ever. Um, but it'll be nice to get more minutes in the legs, and the night series isn't going to define our season by any stretch of the imagination. Um, like I said, we want to win. Um, if we can get through to the next round, it gives us more competitive matches. Um, but we've got a way that we want to play, um, and we'll be we'll be obviously trying to install that and. Yeah, it's more matches to work on what we what we need to do um, to get us ready for round one as well. Absolutely. Look, I've been around the club for a long time and I think our worst season ever was the season we won the night series. The curse so, of the night series. Yeah, um, <laughs> and, and another one where we didn't win a game in night series and I think we ran came runners up. So, you know, it's about how very Ashfield of us, but there you go. Um, yeah. no, Jimmy, you've got a very young squad and I think that, that's also um, been... A blessing and, and a curse in, in some ways because you mentioned about that um, lack of clinical uh, approach in the last third. But, um, yeah, there was a lot of good work to, to get there. And I think, you know, you've got that um, braveness of youth that certainly gets you there. And then that's when you, you've got to try and put those mature heads on shoulders once they're inside the box. 100%. Mate. And um it doesn't matter what, how you want to play or the style you want to play. It's not, it's not going to happen overnight, um, especially with the young squad that we've got. Um, I think we've put together a, a very good squad. Um, we've added a couple of experienced heads, um, which hopefully helps. And um, one, they are like, if they can obviously play to the level that we know they can play, fantastic. Um, but also we want them coaching some of those younger boys and getting their game to another level. Um, it, like I said, it doesn't it doesn't happen overnight. Um, no. But obviously, we're learning every single every single training session. We've only got two training sessions a night. I guess that's similar to what we were chatting about um, at the start when we started speaking. Mm. So it's hard to you can't work on everything in a hour and a half, a ninety minute training session um, twice a week, and then obviously try and implement it into games. So yeah, we'll we'll uh, we'll go. Uh, we've reflected and gone, this is what is a priority for us and 
we work on that and hopefully we make improvements there and then um, we'll tick or we'll start working towards the next thing that we need to work on and um, hopefully when it all clicks mate we're playing some really good some really good football and putting the ball in the back of the net. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, look, Jimmy, thank you very much for coming on this morning. I know you've got um, three young children there and the twins take up a lot of your time, but I uh, do appreciate you giving us uh, that valuable time, mate. Uh, not a problem. It was good timing. I put the twins to sleep in your call. So, <laughs> uh, appreciate, you, appreciate your time, guys, and um, yeah, enjoy the rest of the day. Will do. Thank you, Jimmy. Cheers, Jimmy. Cheers. Okay, Jimmy Sam at Ashfield, um, heading into the night series tonight with a, a host of other clubs. And as you said, there's, um, or as he said, there are no easy games in the state league. No, no. You know? I, I, I enjoy the night series. I think it's because you've, you've had, we've had the summer. Yes. Football's now started, isn't it? So, oh, look, it, it's, yeah, it's the precursor to a proper season. Yeah. Um, this one be different, I think, in some ways, because up until now, um, people have played Ducks and Drakes. They've not played some of the better players because yeah. they didn't want to disclose that they had a player in their midst. Mm. Um, now with, with Scroddy and also with the, um, the fact that they're all going to be signed up, um, you've signed a player, particularly if you've signed him on a professional contract, he's locked in and no one can steal him off you mm. in that time. So I think, you know... Yeah, it's also all very well these clubs that are shouting out that they've signed this, they've signed this, but there are clubs out there that have kept some of their signings uh, very close to their chest. So uh, Yeah, but we mentioned this earlier, you know, where he, and as a fellow programme writer, I know what it's like when people won't hand over their uh, squad list <laughs> because it's a, it's a state secret, mm. you know. I reckon they, I reckon they keep the... Um, the chicken treats recipe less secret than some of the squads, <laughs> but you know it's it's just one of those things that you've got to, you know, we try and promote the game, and, and particularly when you programs or program or uh, ground announcers, you know, there's this point that's been secretive to that stage. You're what, 15 minutes before a kickoff. Yeah, the 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 other team's coach has already seen your squad list. He knows who you've got in your team, and, and you're guaranteed in the night series someone's going to say who's the number eight. Oh, absolutely. Who's the number four? But or in these days, who's the number 37? Look, in, in the bad old days, you, sometimes you, you had the fortunate situation where a backpacker or a traveller ended up in your, in your club by accident. <laughs> yeah. um, you found out that he was an ex-Brazilian international and before the night series was over, he'd already been poached by another club. Mm. And I think signing them up beforehand is yeah. great. Um, and also, I know people are moaning about the professional side of it, but I do not see an issue with signing people, people on professional papers, it protects your asset. And as I know myself from, from recent experience, if you've got a player on a contract and another club needs or wants to take him, you can be compensated yes, for it. that. So it's it's not an awful lot of money, but it's something. It's better than him just going. Going and walking off and yeah. Yeah. Not, so, even, not even returning his training kit. No, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So they're the sorts of things that you can put into a professional contract. But... As much as it protects the club, it also protects the player. So, you know, we just got to get used to it. It's here, it's going to stay. Mm. And it's not a Football West mandate. This this is actually a FIFA mandate. Well, that's right, it's from the top. Right from the top. So, you know, it's Football Australia uh, beholden to FIFA and the, the, all of those things are tearing down and you, you can't just opt out of it. If you're getting paid over a certain amount, you're a pro, that's it. <laughs> and you go, oh, semi-pro. It's like being pregnant. 
you know. You are who you're not. It's it. You can't be part pregnant. Oh, to have been good enough to wear the pro contract. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, I agree with you. Um, but, yeah, look, I think interesting coming up on the night series and lots of good games out there, Jim. Have you got the pictures yeah, there? Yeah, I have. Well, um, should we start with the State League one? Because, yeah, we'll do, uh, do the State League one. The State then, League one. So yeah, we'll do the NPL uh, one later. Uh, purely in no, in no order whatsoever uh, because just pouring on tabs. Uh, we've got tomorrow night, Guerlain Croatia versus Curtin University and Queen's UWA Midlands. Them games are being played at uh, Percy Doyle Reserve. Um We've got uh, Rockingham City versus Canning City and Mandra City versus Calamon or Maddington, White City. or uh, They're yeah. all down at the Paul Mart Stadium down in Mandra tomorrow mm-hmm. night. Um, tonight section, Joondalup City versus Subiaco, followed by Wanneroo and Diamond and the White Eagles. They're both being played at the Wanneroo uh, ground. The first game there kicks off at 5 o'clock. Um, again, tonight at uh, Dalmatinac Field Park, uh, Gosnell City... Play Balga at five o'clock. Coburn City then take on Caramar Shamrock Rovers at um, seven o'clock. Bit of a trek for Caramar to go mm. all the way down there for a night series. But yeah. and then uh, tomorrow night, Joondalup United, Forestfield United, and then Ashfield Sports and Kingsley Westside. Um, tomorrow night, kicking off at five and seven. So there, your state league night series games for this weekend. Lots to look forward to it. If you're at a, a loose end, nip down to your local club. Pop down. Yeah. Watch a game. Now, look, you, if you go over to the Wanneroo Dianella game, you'll see Andy Keogh Andy in action. Keogh. That's right. You'll see him get offside several several times. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen him in a professional day, so I know. Yeah, exactly I know. No, so well, and we, we're talking about Wolves and those uh, sorts of clubs. Yeah, Millwall. play for us. Mm. Okay, uh, we're going to go to a break, and we'll be back after this with Greg Farrell from Futsal WA. Hi, I'm Peter Skeeler. Everyone seems to think I'm the ultimate wingman and full of helpful information. It's true, I am. My passion is trivia and Australian football statistics. Check out aleaguestats.com, my website where you can follow all the stats and results from the men's and women's A-leagues from the beginning of time, or at least 2005 and 2008 respectively. You're listening into the World Football Program on Radio Fremantle, and we appreciate you tuning in. Hey, hey, it's Futsal WA, the leading futsal organisation in Western Australia. With continually growing men's, women's and junior competitions for any ability levels, all year and all around Perth, Futsal WA also provides elite development pathways and competitions for juniors, youth and seniors. The fun, fast-paced social aspect of the game could be the perfect fit for you. To enter a team or to find out more, contact us on 0432 745 140 or simply at www.futsalwa.org.au. And the man there talking in the advert was Greg Farrell, who is our guest now and in one of the fastest growing and fastest sports around um, in futsal. Greg, good morning. How are you? I'm good, thank you. How is everybody? Brilliant. Perfect day for football. 
Yeah, it is lovely outside. <laughs> it doesn't after, matter, he's indoors. <laughs> after, we've, after we've gone through, what was it, four days of yeah. 38, 39, 40 degrees. Um, yeah, certainly us, us playing futsal in the air conditioning was, was always quite nice, but I did have periods of time where I was outdoors with um, Subiaco as well, and even at, at 7, 7.30, 8pm, it wasn't exactly pleasant outside. No. No, it's been a very warm week. But you've also um, had an interesting week because the last time I, I rang you, you were in Sydney with the state national futsal competition. And um, from all the things I've read, um, futsal WA and, and WA in general is punching above its weight limit and have done extremely well within that competition. Yeah, we did. Um, some people, I guess, will always... Uh, be dissatisfied with particular results, and uh, I'm I was a little bit disappointed with uh, our our senior men and senior women with the groups that we had, the players that we had, and the the way things lined up. I thought we maybe could have done a little bit better. I think the the senior men probably should have gone and won the tournament, um, but tournament sport is not necessarily aligned with the best team winning all the time with playing two or three games in a day mm. um, it, it makes <clears> it very difficult and it's a a unique challenge to Australia where because of the distances that everyone has to travel we don't have the way things are done in, in Europe where and, and in any sort of big tournament where you'd play a game every second or third or fourth day we don't have that luxury because of the cost involved with travel, et cetera. So, um, but we, we had some very, very good results. Um, our under 16 girls, our youth men won their competitions. The under 15 girls and the under 10 boys came runners up. Uh, we had, I think we had four other semi finalists, no, six semi finalists. And then two quarter finalists and two teams not make the the final. So overall, yeah, you're right. It it, it is very positive and and we we are improving. Um, but as with anything, it's always if we have high expectations, then we want to continue to meet them. There's nothing wrong with having a high expectation, but I think when you look at the the amount of participants that you know uh, we have in compare comparison to say New South Wales or Victoria. The you know the the numbers we we certainly are competitive against a, a much bigger playing group to choose from. Oh, most definitely, and it's it's the same. Well, I'm I'm from Queensland, and well, f- we'll forgive you. And, and <laughs> f- f- football and and futsal were were both um, much further developed, sort of fifteen twenty years ago over there than what it was here 10 years ago. Yeah. Um, and, and, and I think if you, but, but it's also, there's been great strides made and, and we are catching up and, and reducing that deficit at a great pace mm. because of the introduction of particular programs. Like you look at the, as much as the, the men's MPL and the, now that there's the women's MPL as well, the actual competition itself is a maligned, uh, structure or organization the expectations and the exposure that the increase in um 
well, requirements on clubs has brought has been big. Mm. We've gone from what what was a, a completely amateur competition to one that is genuinely semi-professional with clubs that are training three and four times a week yep. and and players having expectations of not going out drinking the night before games and, and all of that sort of thing. So as much as that, it, it's a different culture now to what it was 25 or 30 years ago, that culture has also been, the change has been accelerated because games are live streamed, because yeah. clubs are forced to have more requirements that lend itself to a professional setup. And and futsal is heading in that direction as well, um, but it, it, it's always going to sort of be the, the little brother to to the bigger outdoor football. Oh, absolutely. But when you look at it, I mean, when we first started talking, oh, God knows how many years ago now, it's only five or seven years ago, but um, very much a niche sport was not supported by Football Australia. Um, you got more support from Europe than you did from, from in Australia. Um, it's now growing as, as a sport and very fast growing sport and particularly in this weather, nice to play indoor football in air conditioning. But there's lots of other things about that game that actually make you a better outfield player and a lot of people play both. Um, but there's also, as we saw last year, um, players who are exceedingly good here are also picking up European contracts mm. and playing playing professionally at futsal. Yeah, yeah, most definitely, and that there there is more and more of a of a crossover in the men's and the women's game locally every year with players who play both and, and players who play both all year round. That yeah the. The big clubs in in Europe and and even down to like the the second and third and fourth tiers in in European football players are are playing and training five or six times a week. Yeah, and even if players here are doing three sessions a week, and they're doing a futsal training session and they're doing a futsal game plus their outdoor game, you're at six you're at six activities a week. So. Even with all of that, we're still behind Europe and South America. Yeah, of course. Um, but... So it, it it's a huge thing for for us to be progressing and and getting closer to the amount of football that they play. Yes. Oh no. Look, it is in some countries, particularly like Spain, Portugal, Italy. It's a religion rather than a sport. But um, getting back to the nationals, part of that. Um, point of having the nationals aid to get a national champion but also um, for national team selection so do we have um, any of the the guys from WA making international team selection yeah so we we have had quite a few uh, across the age groups have have received recognition so uh, I think in the, the coming calendar year there's an under 16 boys and girls tournament um which I think our obviously our under sixteen girls team won the competition, yeah. And our under and our under fifteens were runners up. So I think out of the squad that was picked of potentially fifteen, I think we maybe got four or five of that. Um, there was quite a few of our youth men, and then in in the seniors, I think we maybe got two or three uh, who were recognised for each one. Um, unfortunately, it's a, a user pays system, so um, it, and it's the same with the 
the futsal ruse at the moment, trying to get them to qualify for the World Cup. Those yep. players have been told that for training camps and stuff like that, the FFA are not going to be contributing. They have to pay their own way to get to training camps and all that other sort of thing. It was like that for the Matildas not so long ago. You know, the the women uh, representing this nation at the highest level were funding themselves. So, uh, you know, look, it's the the sport is getting recognised and I think those things will come. It's just about finding appropriate sponsorships and and building that that media market, as you said, is is so important. Yeah, well, and that's... I I actually just, uh, while I was waiting for you guys, the... um, Subiaco Football Club put some information up about their sponsors, and I, I shared that on my on my Facebook page. Mm. Um, and I think it's it is a pity that we don't have better funding from governments, where we are relying on private businesses who have their own work to do, and and are, are helping out community clubs and whatever else. Where I, I I do think if you look at the models that are used overseas. Governments can fund these things; they just need to make them a priority. Yeah, but governments are, governments are funded or, or reliant on the voters. Now, it is one of the things I have said repeatedly: is that there's an awful lot of people who are involved in the game of football who do not make that known to their politicians. They do not make it known yeah. through the ballot box. We need to do more lobbying of government and. Once they realise that there's enough people that are of a football persuasion who would like to see a little... No, we're not greedy. We don't want all the money. we just like to have a fair share of the <laughs> money given to us, that those people can actually change a government. Then they'll take notice. But right now, they listen to the football lobbyists. And we, you know, Aussie Rules lo- lobbyists are very good at what they do and they've been doing it for an awful long time. And it's ingrained that the F- WA Football Commission gets 12 million, where I think all other sports combined get two between them. It's not fair, and we need to get back to those Australian values and then it should be per participant. And I think, you know, we are one of the largest participant sports, as are netball and other sports other than one particular um, code. code. And I think, you know, we, we've just got to get more politically aware and, and we need to be knocking on our local politicians' door at local government level for more funding for our local football club and... Uh, um, state level with the state government for WA football in general, not just Football West, but the the clubs to have more money to to share around. And nationally, we need to be really belting the doors down and telling people if you want to if you want to be in government, you need to be talking to us because we can sway it with the numbers. <laughs> but you know, not that I'm a fan of Jerry Adams, but the ballot box and the bomb does work. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, well. But the bomb, I, um, the bomb I, I can said, be metaphorical. Yeah, I know. Look, it's just my my passion for football is that we we do not do enough of that, and that's part of what's going on. Now you mentioned Subiaco, and obviously uh, um, last year was you know draw a line under it; it's gone. Um, moving forward, what are you doing with the ladies at Subiaco to improve your lot? Yeah, well, so last season we. Uh, we did still, despite the fact that we didn't achieve as many points as the previous year, that was only by a couple of points. And it was in terms of this football and the way that we did things, still a giant leap forwards. 
Um, oh, look, I think we, culturally you, you did well. The team was turning up every week and, and the girls were doing everything they could. Um, and I think those side, that side of it was, was going really well. It was just there was some backroom stuff and, and club stuff that kind of clouded the season. Yeah, well, and we, we, I think we were a little bit unlucky with re- some results as well. Yeah. And last la- last season was a very good step forward, and we've recruited quite well again this season um, or this off season. We've got uh, coaching staff in place again, nice and early. Everybody's working to the same ideas, and I think the the club have been terrific again. Um, we we won the uh, I can't remember what it's called. The sports, not it's not sportsmanship. I don't think, but the award for like the least number of yellow cards, which in a way, yeah, fair play award. That's it. Yeah. Which in a, in a way, I was quite happy with. In a way, I was like, oh my god, you like me to kick people more often. <laughs> but um, it's kind of finding that balance. Um, so there, there was little positives, and that money will go back into the playing group with the use of GPS trackers and and new software to help us to improve the, the training methodologies and, and keeping track of loading and, and all of that sort of thing. Um, so there has been lots of positives and, and the way that the way that we've changed the culture around the way Subiaco is thought of as a women's club as well, I think has been huge because we're now attracting some of the the top younger players in the state where in the past that wasn't even a consideration. Um, so, that's, that in itself is an interesting statement because my, my perception of Subiaco um, women's teams is they've been around forever. You've been a very strong supporter and very strong club in that area. So um, I'm surprised that you had any work to do with, with the reputation, but that's just my, my personal thought. Well, I'd, I'd coach against when Subiaco came up into the NPL, I think in their first two seasons, yeah. they got they got a total of eight points. Yeah. Um, in in the the net the first season that I took over, uh, I think we got twenty points. Mm. So it was it was the sort of thing that the club had come up from the state league and was always very big in in participation numbers mm. and. Had had quite a good reputation for developing some very good young female players, but didn't have the location for them to then go into the seniors. Yeah. Um, that pathway didn't really exist, and so a lot of the players would end up at the bigger MPL clubs, yeah. even at, even at the Glory. Yeah. Um, but now they have that pathway. We're trying to make sure that the the young ones understand that they have a legitimate pathway from being eight, nine and ten years old up to the first team if they if they want to work hard and stick with football. It's it's a legitimate thing that they can do is is eventually become a senior player in the yeah. first team and we've got we've got senior players working with the junior teams to sort of encourage that massively important in the club. Yeah. Absolutely, massively important. Now, you mentioned also about the the MPL. Um, there was lots of talk about it being too soon. We weren't ready. We didn't have enough players, and it's now a few seasons old. You, you, you're now talking positively about professionalism and professional contracts and professional attitudes, such as the trackers and and 
you know the the sports trainers and all those other things that you know professional clubs bring in um how do you feel the npl um w is is, is going on the on its trajectory and its health yeah it's, it's it's definitely getting better and it's it's like anything um anyone who says that it was introduced too soon is is just plain wrong and and probably not that bright mm. um it was it was introduced in the eastern states seven or eight years before it was introduced here yeah there was there was some roadblocks to it being introduced here which were eventually removed but it, it's like anything. As soon as something is introduced, there are going to be issues, there are going to be teething problems, but they get sorted out. And the increase in the expectations and the requirements on clubs, like I said before, meant that everything has progressed in a, a positive manner. The, some of the, the players from the golden generation of uh, the Perth Glory with Sam Kerr and, and that generation of player are still playing, um, but you've also had that generation. A lot of them now have retired or are playing at the, the higher levels and are finishing their career. Mm. But there is a, a very strong competition now for them to come back to when they want to. Whereas six or seven years ago, the Women's Premier League, as it was, there was two strong teams, Northern yes. Redback and either Beckenham Angels or Queen's Park. Yes. And and then there was Balcatta, who were, were, were quite good, but were a distant third or fourth with Fremantle. And there wasn't really too much else. Melville were there for a season or two a long time ago before I really came to WA. Hmm. But apart from that, like you're going back ten or fifteen years before, like there was any that when there was other strong clubs. But so, then Perth getting back, uh, getting involved certainly steps up the ante because everyone knows Perth is a very professional club and we're going to give it 110 percent and and won't accept mediocrity. Um, and I think you know Subiaco with what you, you and the, the crew there have done are lifting the the seriousness of how you do it. Fremantle have certainly been up and around there in the last couple of seasons. Mum again take a very strong approach to it, and I think it's it's actually made that competition much healthier. And yes, we still got one or two clubs that dominate, but it's starting to dwindle that domination. Well, and and the the rules that were put into place when when the NPL started. I, with the MPL women started, mm. probably should have included a player point system because that would have yeah. helped to to hasten the spread of players. Yep. Um, but there are now, I, I think probably out of the eight clubs that are going to be in the competition, UWA having been promoted this season, I, I still think even UWA having just been promoted are going to be more competitive than what they were in about. 2018, yep. when they were last in the old Premier League, there was a year when uh, I think Sterling and UWA were brought up as the seventh and eighth teams, and I think Sterling maybe won one game that season, and I don't think UWA got a win. Hmm. And they were a very very distant seventh and eighth. Whereas um, these these days, the, the seventh and eighth teams are still going to be competitive. 
And I've been hearing locally around most of the clubs that they're they're getting inundated with um, junior requests. I was going to ask that about the World Cup. Yeah, following the World Cup, particularly uh, for girls, but across the the club itself, is Subiaco also experiencing the tsunami or um, you you haven't really noticed? Well, one of the things about being at Subiaco is that it's already an enormous club. Yep. if there was a tsunami, I think it, it would not be beneficial to the club. There, there certainly has been a, a much greater um, in, uh, interest, interest in, in yeah. playing in the in the junior girls, but that also that that started probably twelve months ago. Yeah, um, I think the, the women's World Cup will have played a role, and it, it will have helped with players who weren't necessarily involved in the game wanting to get involved through schools and, and other um, sort of start-up systems. Hmm. But in, in terms of, well, we won't know yet about player registrations for, for a little while, but there definitely has been an increase in the last 12 months, and, and we've seen it with futsal as well. Yeah, um, We run under-13s, under-15s, and then up to under-17s and 20 women, and we were very very close to starting in under nines and elevens this season but hopefully for, for next summer that will be on the cards Brilliant. Um, but it's it's just a matter of and it's something that I am glad Football West have increased the number of age groups that they're offering mm. if we were to offer every single age group for female teams there would be more players playing and there would be more clubs able to field teams yeah. if, if you don't have an under 14s age group or 15s, whatever it is, then there is a group of players who will not play because that's not being offered. Yes. Whereas if you if you offer it, it will get filled, whether it's by friends of friends, by people in schools, church groups, whatever it is. If you build it, they it, will come. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's a, a brilliant uh, cliche. Yeah. But <laughs> it's, it's exactly that situation where the MPL happened the increased expectations on the clubs meant that clubs became more professional, which meant players were then hoping and expecting more. We're like in Subiaco, we started training three times a week last season and mm. we're continuing it on this season and we're now getting some of our junior teams to start doing it as well. Wow. Not every week and, and yeah. not for the full season, but for periods of time, pre-season and for specific teams... Every second week or so, they'll get, they're going to have a third training session where the MPL in Queensland, when it was introduced in 2012 or 13, every single age group across the MPL had to do three sessions a week. Yeah. It was it was mandated as a part of the move to MPL. Oh, absolutely. And that expectation had a corresponding, in, like, caused a corresponding increase in the level because if you're getting more touches on the ball you're going to improve it's simple maths look Greg we could go on all morning about this Um, (laughs) I know we could Um, really appreciate what you do for the game it's it's nice to have someone who's actually living the dream and making a living Mm. out of of the football because I think you know if anyone couldn't, should, it's you. Uh, you're very passionate about what you do and you, you give up a lot of your own free time to play football and, and to coach football just for fun. So thank you. 
lots of free time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was about 10 minutes. That's, that's the time you don't get paid for, mate. Um, all right. Look, thank you for being on the show. I'm sure we'll catch up with you lots and lots over the, the next 12 months. So thank you. Yeah, thank you very much, Sam. Have a great day. You too. See ya. Cheers. Greg Farrell, Futsal WA, um, great sport, and he's a, a terrific guy who is passionate about all avenues of the game, coaches at Subiaco Women. Question. Yeah. Where did the word futsal come from? Because we're of a vintage where I played indoor five-a-side, and that's how it was called. And then this word futsal appeared. Yes. Where, where did the word futsal appear? Well, I don't know. I, I went to um, <laughs> Leeming Rec Centre, God knows, probably 26 years ago, um, to play indoor five-a-side and found out it was football, so <laughs> futsal rather. So I've, I've got no idea where it came from. And maybe that's a question I can ask Greg uh, yeah, a later yeah, date. Next time, yeah, when, I, when I bump into him, I'm going to ask him, where did futsal? Because it was... You know, when I was in my twenties, yeah. When I was in my twenties in the nineties, it was yeah. But then, when you played in your twenties in the nineties, it was that great big green tennis tennis ball. ball. That's right. Whereas the futsal ball is a size three and it's it's a heavier, more dense ball. It actually behaves like a size five ball. Oh, does it really? Yeah, Yeah. I'm so naive. That's well, that's that's the thing with the game though, because it's that's why it's so. transmissible to the on-field game because everything about the, the way yeah. you pass and everything hasn't mm. changed whereas that tennis ball was just awful yeah i quite enjoyed that tennis I know, it's for fun, fun but you know it was fun for, for, for a clogger it was great fun but for someone who's trying to be a, an elite level footballer because it didn't behave like a proper football well, oh, i just remember the pitches being concrete painted in green wow oh, that's where had I, we had asphalt Astro yeah. oh, do you remember the red grass? i think it was called it was a gravel oh yeah that, that's that all we rich, had was gravel that rich and yeah. these up <laughs> yeah no, all, all weather pitches oh. the playground all right we're Happy gonna go a break and we'll be back after this with john baird from mandra gate and fence hardware wa your one-stop shop for all gate and fence hardware components wrought iron automation and electronic gate security we can offer great advice and solutions for your project trade and layman welcome hardware shipped all over australia contact the team on 92586822 or shop online at gateandfencehardware.com.au station sponsor You're listening to the World Football Programme on Radio Fremantle. We are proud to be the longest-running football show on radio in Australia. Join myself, Penny Tannerhoth, Pete Skeller, Sean Kelly and Hugh Best every Saturday morning in the 10am to noon space. You will hear football conversations with a range of guests and gurus. The show lands as a podcast on our website and you can subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Thanks for listening in to the World Football Programme. Radio Fremantle, 107.9 FM. So we're just trying to get John on the uh, the, the phone there. So um, one thing that we did notice is when we read out the State League night series fixtures, I did leave out Group A, so apologies for Group A people. Um, but uh, playing tonight at Percy Doyle Reserve, um, relegated NPL side Sorrento, who are many people's favourites to win the... Um, Win the State League this year. They're at home to uh, Division 2 side Swan United at 5 o'clock tonight. And then at 7 o'clock, 
Uh, newly promoted to the State League, having won the uh, amateur division last year, East Perth are uh, at home to, or not at home, but they'll be hosting uh, Murdoch University in Melville. So, again, at Percy Doyle, another another trip for Murdoch to uh, all the way up there for the night series. It's, it's oh, people complain about the trips. I remember the good old days when you had teams like Mandra going up to Caramar, which is a trek, oh, a real yeah. trek. So, yeah, yeah it's... Um, well, and, and Bunbury. I mean, oh, Bunbury were in the night series. They were. Um, that was always... Easier to get to Bunbury than Sorrento from Mandra. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, true, true. Yeah, yeah never mind. Um, all right, well, joining us on the line from Mandra is John Baird, who is the head coach there. John, good morning. How are you? Yeah, I'm good, mate. I'm good. Good to hear. Um, now, last season... Um, I don't know what you do about it. You were there and thereabouts all season, um, right up until the the wire. Three could, minutes could have been the yeah three minutes away from automatic promotion, and then all of a sudden you find yourselves in the playoffs. And you know, despite you know being the favourites in that playoff, you you didn't get there. How how do you recover from that? Well. Uh, Obviously, I get where you're coming from, saying, saying that we were there and thereabouts, but the full season that we're up, up at the top end of the league and teams are looking at you as a, a big scalp, so I feel that in times of the season, teams are raising their game against us because of the pressure in the night series and, and being the favourites for the league. Uh, how do we recover for that? You win, you win football games, uh, get into the get into the, the playoff final, the playoff, sorry, his yeah. favourites. That came in the back of us. Well, we, we finished, I think it was 12 points ahead of Fremantle. Now, when we're going for a the title, there's a lot bigger pressure on us than there was for Fremantle, for instance, or yeah. ups or whoever else. So, we were, we were basically full at it. You couldn't rest players, you couldn't sort of set your team up so that you were in top condition for the playoffs. And I think when you look over football in general, especially in worldwide, teams that come second very rarely uh, progress through the playoffs, especially when it's as close. When you look at it, it's been like three minutes uh, to win in the league. Oh, I've actually been told on other occasions it was one minute, but uh, it doesn't matter. You still never win the league, so yeah. it's irrelevant. But to go that far, uh, I think that had a big bearing on the playoffs because we weren't able to prepare. Whereas a year before, when we won the top four cup, which was sort of a, the playoffs, if you want to hmm. uh, take Kings out, we end up winning. We, we won that sort of a competition the year before, but we had a bit of time to prepare for it properly uh, and make sure suspensions weren't in the road, injuries weren't in the road and stuff like that, but we never had that option. But that's just football. Uh, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't take the experience away. Uh, for, I would I would go into the last game of the season have an opportunity to win the league again rather than do the uh, rest up for the playoffs. So I thought it was brilliant. I thought it was a great achievement for the players last yeah. year for the club for the club as well. It's no it's no long ago that the club was fighting relegation. Uh, the last two years we became second, and you know, it took Western Knights seven years to get out of the league, seven eight years to get out of the league. So I think they're progressing quite quite quickly and. And long may continue. Yeah, no, definitely. And I think you know um, sometimes that adversity of of 
coming second and, and missing out just by a whisker is actually one of those drivers. People do not want to repeat that again and, and are willing to you know, bust the gut and, and work just that little bit harder and make sure it doesn't happen. And I think um, last year you mentioned about being the big scalps. You know, you had Lee Griffiths playing and, and you still do, but and yourself and people kind of put that target on you. But this year you've got um, Andy Keogh and Neil Kilkenny in the league and, you know, Sorrento have come obviously prepared to, to bounce straight back up. But Division One isn't that kind of league where you can just do that. No, no, it's, it's definitely not. And uh, I think Greylock uh, got, got, got that, that last year. Yeah. Uh, sort of getting relegated. Uh, well, somebody else got relegated. You, I think two came down, or was it two came down this year? No, two, two, came, came, down two came down this year for the first time, yeah. Yeah, yeah well, but, it's, look, I, I know Stephen well. Uh, I played against him back home. I never actually played the same team as him, but we know each other. I speak to him quite, uh, not regularly, but occasionally. And I, I know how, how he'll be going about his business. He's got a full-time mentality, like myself. Yeah. Uh, that's your, your background. So I know I know the way he'll be getting about his, uh, about his team and about his business. And, look, I'm not, I'm, I've, I've spoke, on, spoke on the radio before, and I've spoke with Jim on podcasts, etc. I don't really, I, and I'm pleased I'm not being ignorant. With us, I do not care about any other team. Mm. If your team isn't doing, if your team isn't doing its job, well, it doesn't matter what the other teams doing. There's nothing that I can really, I can really, I can really deal, uh, manage. I can only manage my group of players. So if they're doing what we're hoping them, they're looking for them to do, that's that's good enough for me. No, look, it's a, it's a refreshing attitude, John. You know, far too many people are respectful and try and go, oh, yeah, he's a really good coach, really good team. Yeah, I don't care. I, I am only worried about my team, my squad, my players, and if people want to worry about me, that's their problem. So I, I like that approach. Yeah, yeah, that's... It, it's something that we've done for the last, the last two seasons. Mm. And, like, like I remember, like, just a story for you to back home. I remember uh, standing out the pitch before the game and, their opposition manager came over and handed our assistant manager his team lines. And our, our, assist, our assistant was quite taken aback on why are you sending it? So now normally, the, normally you get the team lines an hour before the game. And the manager went, but does it really matter? Nothing's going to change. Hmm. It's the same team as it is now as it is an hour ago. It, it, if you're going to prepare your team for, an, for the opposition, that means you're not really confident in your own team. But why, why would you change every week for yeah. somebody else? Uh, we are what we are and just got to keep doing it and to be honest we've been quite successful the last two seasons with that yeah. uh, with that mentality uh, I think even even the club when, when Chris was in charge with Pete as co-manager yeah. they won the night series and then so there's been trophies been put in the cabinet the last, the last four years and obviously finished in second place the last two years so there's, so there's, I, I did notice that this year one of the one of the first things you've done is to establish your coaching team fairly early on. Um, so, you know, you, you've you made some announcements about who's there. There's a, a nice blend of stability, but also um, bringing in you know, experience of Lee and what he can bring to a group um, has also gone well. So I think as that, one of those things that you've, you've done for the year is to set that up. Then obviously you've had some players go and you've had some players come in. Um, so, you know... 
you, you've reshuffled the deck somewhat, but uh, I think starting off with a nice stable coaching team uh, and a quality coaching team is the is basically your, your foundation, isn't it? Oh, definitely. If the first year I took I took the job. Uh, Pete was involved in it, uh, and it was one of the reasons why I took the job. It was I said I'm only going to be involved if, if Pete was going to be my number two, and he done that. Uh, and Pete came a year a year out uh, last season, and and very early on, uh, Alex Grayson, who's got experience as being the manager and manager before, yep. know the club well, was a player, and Brooksy was the same. All experience in coaching, coached since he was probably about 16, 17. So I was really happy with the coaching group again last year and this year just the same. I'm not going to. I'm not going to say, oh, I'm really happy. I've been happy every year with my coaches, so it doesn't really. Uh, the most important thing is that they're happy in the environment, and that means they can they can flourish as a coach as well. I think that's something that the clubs the, the, the clubs done well over the last few years, like the reserves with Simon Bell and Rob, and then. This year, Tony Collins has come in as well at under 18. So, it's it, it, I think it's it's not just about who's at the top of the, the top end, as in the state league. It's about everybody else who's in positions and, and they're in a good environment and they feel comfortable speaking to each other and asking each other opinions and stuff like that. So, there's, I, I get where you're coming with for the coaches, and you mentioned about the players uh, that we've lost. I, I, I don't again, I don't look at it as we've lost. It's boys that have moved on. Uh, I think, especially Joey. I think Joey, Joey O'Brien. I think it was time for him to move on. Yeah. Uh, mm. uh, Joey's done done really well. He's, he's won the Golden Boot. The only thing is, no one in the league is uh, is the league, uh, and he uh, he got an opportunity in Melbourne to to go and play his football over there. And I know he's going to a club that, that I was at and I trust, and uh, they'll look after him. And I'm sure he'll do the business. So there's another few, but Sam's obviously Sam Burns went back to glory. Now, if that was my own kid at 17, 18 year old, that would be something I would advise him to do. He's come out and done a year and a half with, as I would say, with grown men, uh, men that are out working every day and then going to training. Uh, I think it's uh, the, the year and a half Sam had with, with the football club will, will help him grow up and help him get back into the environment he's going into. Get into uh, and then obviously there's another few boys that have moved on to, to different clubs and that, but boys have been back home and stuff. But I'm really happy with what we've recruited in. Really happy. Mm. Uh, a few decent, I, I would say, additions, uh, probably better than what I thought when, when I signed them, to be honest. They're really fat, technically very good, and then we've done, done quite well in the market overseas. It's something that I think helps progress the players in within the club because I think I've been a big advocate for this. I don't I think the visa rule and the, the NPL is absolutely killing the league. It's not helping younger players progress because you can't get two experienced players. It's very difficult for them to be a big influence in a group of twenty four. Oh no look I, I agree with you completely John. I think if someone comes over here on a visa as an electrician that doesn't mean that he's come out here as a footballer, so therefore the visa shouldn't apply in the NPL. Yeah, so now when, when we look at like Jordan Callahan, for instance, yeah. a new club, he's progressed massively in the year. He's maybe not as many first-team opportunities as he would like, but he's only 16-year-old. Yeah. But you see kids at 16, 17 playing the NPL, 
they're not ready. The majority of them wouldn't even get a game in my team. Hmm. So how could they be playing the But that's because of the limited number of adults or visa players who have played at a high level in Europe or wherever can come in and help. system I, th- I think stifled the growth of the game but that's my personal opinion um, just getting back to the players that have moved on I think that's a very good point is that no one minds a player who's moving on to something bigger and better and I think you know for their progression it's great and it's great for your club it's great that you've got um, 16 and 18 year olds that are moving up through your system who are then moving on um, beyond you because at the end of the day um, if one of these boys ends up playing for Australia, they're not going to do that whilst they're still at Mandra. They've got to be playing in the NPL or overseas to do that. So I think, you know, it's a, it's a really good thing. You're not hanging on to people who've got that ability to move on. Um, now, going to the night series, um, we, we talked earlier about the um, being target and, and, you know, everyone trying to knock you off. Um, as last year's champions, um, it's going to be a bit more of the same, isn't it? Yeah, Bill, I think to put a target on, we're a new squad. We've had probably about 10, maybe 12, and lost maybe about 10 or 12. So we've done all the pre-season down in Mandurah, and we've had two games down in Mandurah. So it'll be interesting. The night series is last year we were a lot more settled as a group because we had a year together before then. So into the night series, maybe only added. I think Lee came, Lee came back the day before the final the night series, but everybody else was just the same. Mm. We, did, we added Sean McEvoe and Robbie Galvin, and that was it. And I remember, if I remember right, the two of them scored in the actual cup final the night series. So that, that's, that really added, we, 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 we added three minimum, uh, by Aaron as well, actually. He's been back to, to Ireland, so we added four, but Aaron was injured for the, for the final. But when you're looking at the squad now, Games will tell uh, where, where, where we're going to end up uh, and performances will tell where we're going to end up take game by game and you just need to win every game that's in front of you and take it for them. Uh, if you don't win or you draw, you just need to go and win the next game. It's as simple as that. So it's difficult for me to put something on it. I know I said last year that I would that we're going to go and try and win. No, we want to win the night series. If you're asking me now, do we want to win the night series? Of course. Yeah. But we'll need to see it out in the... Uh, the group stage and we'll take it for there. Uh, as for the league, that's another six weeks away, so there's a lot can happen uh, on the lead up to that to, to make a prediction. 
Yeah, look, I, I like the, the answer we got from Jimmy Sammer earlier where Jimmy said, we, we're not going out to lose games, we're going out to win games. Every game we're going out to win. I think that's, you know, every coach goes into a game going, there's a way to win this, I'm going to win it, no matter who you're playing. So, um, you know, I think some of these cliched questions about where you're going to go um, or how do you, you feel going in the, in, the, in the night series, it's not up to you, you know. There's, there's so much can happen between now and, and then that, uh, yeah, a bit of luck, a couple of decisions go your way or don't. Mm. And, you know, it's not, it's not season-defining. No, no, Bill, I think when you, when you look over like last season, when you say like, decisions going your way and stuff like that, but the night series, we were 2-0 up in the final, Fremantle go 3-2, and then we scored in the last minute and then going winning penalties. Uh, and then... And then you look at the, the playoffs, the first leg, away to, away to Fremantle when we had a lot of injuries and suspensions. We lose one of the boys who was a big part of that for game plan for that day uh, with a broken nose two or three minutes into the game. And then we score a goal, it's over the line. Five seconds, six seconds later, we're down to ten men. The exact same thing happened in the second leg. Uh, we're down to, we scored a goal, wasn't offside, uh, and then we end up down to ten men. So... These these decisions end up pitiful uh, in the really important in the in the game. So it, a lot of it is there's a wee bit of luck in it, but uh, I think you make your own luck, and we just maybe ran out of that at the end of the season. So we'll see how it goes. And, and decisions John, is a big part of it. And John, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna just want to talk about pre-season training as a as a season pro that you are. If you can remember, and you just mentioned Geordie there being a 16-year-old, can you remember John Baird as a 16-year-old? What the difference is between pre-season training then and pre-season training is now? I mean, I imagine you were still probably running up hills at 16, were you? (laughs) Well, we used to do a lot of 12-minute runs and fatlets and all stuff like that. Uh, I would maybe say it's a bit more game-based, a lot more games. Stuff like we would go at like two or three weeks, we'd probably the only time we would touch a ball would be for like wee volleys and stuff like that. There was there was a core work that you had to get to. I'll be honest, it was probably more mental, mental than anything, uh, mentally to make sure you were strong enough. Because the amount of times people go, oh, I'm, I'm tired, and then you see them making a forward run, but they struggle to run back to defend. That's just mental. That's not really. That's nothing to do with fitness because it's the same forty yards of running. It's the same forty, 40 yards of running back. It's just that you've got a chance of scoring a goal <laughs> or defending a goal. It's just, it's just an attitude thing. But if you're asking me, the biggest difference is probably. Well, I was full time at the time, so it, it, obviously we're part time now. So that's the difference. But uh, there's a lot of younger players. Mm. When, when I started, there was about five or six young boys. Yeah. Uh, the rest were all season pros, married with kids and responsibilities. We've got an older team this year, uh, but last year we never. There was probably about a handful of people that had, uh, that was married with kids and stuff like that. So hmm. I think probably, the, if I'm being, being honest, maybe a wee bit immature, uh, the rest of them, because you wouldn't have, some of the things that happened, I'm just like, Shake my head, going. <laughs> if I was sixteen, I, I would get stuck in a peg for that. <laughs> but uh, as a young fella, sixteen-year-old, um, developing as a footballer, how important is it you get exposure to playing against full, full, grow, fully grown men with with kids and mortgages and cars and all that stuff that you know you don't have? But um, you know, be able to expose yourself at that level. And I think you know, in some ways, the 
under 24 competition is is stifling that growth as well because you don't get to play against you know a fully grown man with a, with a beard and three divorces. No, well, well, that now what happened was when I was in Scotland, there was a reserve league at the time, so we would get to play against. So on the Saturday we'd have your starting eleven, and then your subs, maybe two or three would go on. Yeah. Then the rest of the squads, there was a squad of twenty, so there would be about seven adults, as I would say. We were playing in the reserve team, and then the rest would be made up of kids. So you played against grown men in that in in the games on a Tuesday night or a Tuesday afternoon, whenever it was, and you had to learn. You had to you had to be able to take hits. You had to be able to use your body, but you realised that you couldn't play. So I'm five foot seven, and that time I was probably lucky if I was even seventy kilo. Yeah, I couldn't play against a, a six foot two set a half. It's about thirty year old. So you have to stay. You have to learn the game hmm. now. Do you talk about thirty three? They're all playing at the same age. Yeah, they're all playing at the same age level. It's madness. Yeah, it's absolutely mad. So and then, because how many people have left Australia? Well, since I came here in three years, I'm going to go and try England. I'm going to go and do this. I'm going to do that. That on it must be about ninety five percent of them come home. Yeah. Because, because technically they're very good, but they they do not and haven't developed the physicality. They haven't de- discovered the nous of protecting no. themselves, so they get injured as well. Yeah, and that's that's how. Well, I'm touching Jordan. There's an old boy, owner uh, Liam, in my team as well. That uh, a younger boy. And there's a few other been in and in and out the first team as in training. That's how it's so important to get that because the reserves, to be fair, in the state league. And I'm not judging it to the NPL because I've not seen that, the reserves of the under-23s. But some things are going to see... There's men in the games. Last year for manager, sometimes there were six or seven manager first-team players playing in the reserves. Yeah. Because they're back, he's on the squad. So there's Callahan, for instance, playing with him in the games. If he's not doing it right, he's getting demands on him. Yeah. How, how, how's your kids going to learn if they're not learning off experienced players? Oh no, absolutely, and and you've got you know a thirty-two-year-old uncompromising un- un- um, defender like say Graham Tuff, who well, doesn't yeah. matter who you are, he's going to hurt you if you if you present the wrong way, and if you don't learn from that, he'll hurt you again. So you just need to to learn to play those players, and they do, and and the exposure is not unhealthy. The exposure is actually very healthy because you know when you do play. Yeah in an open league, that's going to happen to you week in, week out. Well, what happened in, well, in Scotland when they, they get rid of the, the scrap to the reserve league, hmm. the, the, the league, so the Premiership, Championship, League 1, League 2, League 1 and League 2 basically get littered with players on loan. Uh, so you were allowed to three players for every team without the loan players. So like, I went out to Stennis Muir as 18, 19-year-old and I remember my first game I, I was fine. I was able to handle it because of what I had in the reserve league. But see, as I got older, and then I was playing in the leagues myself, as a 21-year-old, with probably about 100 appearances under my belt, there was 18, 19-year-olds come into train months, uh, come into play with us on loan. They would get sent back because they couldn't handle playing with men. Yeah. It, 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 and I think that's been a big problem even in Scotland as well. There's no reserve league. They've started putting them into a... Like a Colts league, they go into the Lowland League and stuff like that, like Celtic Rangers, Aberdeen Hearts, yeah. teams that can afford it. But it is stopping the development of players. Uh, they need to be. I could go on. I could, honestly, I could go on for days. About me, me, me too, John. <laughs> me too, John. I'm, I'm feeling yeah, your pain and frustration. 
yeah. everybody else has got opinions. But look, when you look at uh, Fremantle, for instance, that have won the league, uh, uh, sorry, been up for promotion, the Western Knights have been up as well. They, I, they, they, they might tell me different, but I'd be very surprised if their squad wasn't stronger last year hmm. because there was no visa rule than it is this year. Oh, yeah. And it, and it was top league. I agree. It's supposed to be the best standard that we mm. can give outside their league in Perth. That's no right. No, it's not. Oh, look, it'll take us a while, but we, we will redress the balance, I'm sure. Okay, John, look, I've got another guest I've got to get on to. Um, really appreciate your time and your insight into the game. It's really interesting and refreshing to hear some of the honesty, um, which is great. Mm-hmm. Um, I wish more people were like that. Uh, all the best for the night series. Um, and no matter what happens, um, you're going to be a, a contender this year as well, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, anytime, mate, anytime. So thanks for for inviting me on to your show. It was good. Excellent. Thanks, Thanks. John. Uh, cheers. All right, John Baird. Um, yeah. Nice and honest. No, no, look, I love it. I, I don't worry about anybody else. I don't care what they've got. They, they can worry about me if they want. And I think that's it's refreshing to hear because, you know, sometimes football's all too nice. <laughs> yeah. No, nice, nice. We're we're a Millwall. What? We're being nice. We're being nice because we're we're actually in a team where we have to be nice. <laughs> but I, I tell you this much: if we we're on the terraces and Millwall were playing West Ham, it'd be a completely different situation. <laughs> I'm you not know? talking to you. No, no. Look, and, and I, I've said this to people along, and anyone who knows me knows that this is how I I, I work. Um, you know, John O'Reilly is a good friend of mine, but for for the ninety minutes mm. we're engaged in the game, he is coaching. I hate him. <laughs> Mm. Uh, everything about yeah. him, yeah. and then once the once the final whistle's blown, rest of the time great. That's it. Let's and go that's, straight games. That's how it should be. We we you know, we go into that theatre of battle. We we battle it out, and both sides supporters, everybody just you know, but, but it's war, and we just get get the war on, and then when the whistle's blown. Let's go to the bar, argue about the game, have a beer, and enjoy enjoy each other's company. And you know that you're always right. Yeah. Regardless of their point of view. You're oh, absolutely. Like <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it, no matter how bad he is, I like to hear him. I, I, love, I love to taste Millwall tears, but that's... <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, no, look, that's, that's all part of the good banter of it. All right, we're going to go to a break, and we'll be back after this with Steve Nelkoski. Oswest Fencing and Rotine is a fourth-generation family business. Bring us about your custom gate and fence projects. We can manufacture, install or automate your gates, offer electronic security or simply just provide sound advice. Let our family look after your family. Oswest Fencing and Wrought Iron. Call us on 9258-6822. Station sponsor. You're listening to Community Radio, powered by passionate football volunteers just like myself. You can appreciate the entertainment by becoming a station member. Hi, I'm Phil Kelly, Chair of the Football West Men's State League Standing Committee. Listen in next for Western Australian local football news.
Radio Fremantle 107.9 FM. All right, and we're back in the room. Um, interesting chat there with, with John. Now we've all... That was the State League Night Series. Um, someone who's in charge of a club involved in the MPL Night Series is Steve Nelkoski from Olympic Kingsway. Steve, good morning. How are you? We're great. Uh, thanks for having us on the show. Oh, no, look, great to have you on board. We were saying at the, the start of the show that... Um, you know, Kingsway Olympic or Olympic Kingsway have been out of the MPL for far too many years. Um, first year back last year, and it was like normal services been resumed. Um, a stellar season for your first season back in MPL, finishing third. Um, you know, it's like you've never been away. <laughs> no, we had we had been away yeah, for, uh, for far too long, and uh, yeah, it was it was nice last year to be um, in the MPL and. Look, we're disappointed with the way we finished off the season and probably the way we started. The middle part was, was good, but, um, yeah, it's a, it's a challenge for, for the Crown. We've got to be more consistent over 22 weeks. Uh, yeah, the whole competition was extremely even. Um, but, yeah, we want to uh, improve this year and hopefully uh, I think yeah, push the uh, red, red, red star all the way. Yeah, I certainly think that you, uh, you proved the bookmakers wrong because you were pretty much favourites to go straight down, weren't you, at the start of last season? Um, yeah, yes, I think there was a couple of people that weren't too sure how how would uh, would go, but uh, look, in, in, internally we're um, confident of, uh, of of having a good campaign. Um, yeah, certainly top four was was a was a, a minimum. Um, so yeah, we, we we keep building, and uh, yeah, the, the aim of the night series is to make sure the whole squad gets uh, yeah some good minutes into their legs, and we're we're ready for round one in the blockbuster against Sterling. Yeah, but it's more than that, though, isn't it? I mean, you, you know, by all means, you, you brought in a great coach in Tuffy who just needs the tools to do the job. Um, you had some good players come in last year. But there's also all that off-field stuff that happens that is so important. Um, you know, you built that stand, which, you know, no mean feat in itself. Then you attracted the uh, Women's World Cup, which meant more upgrades to the to the ground, but also um, came with, with some other things that where you couldn't use the ground for weeks, which could be detrimental to you. But, you know, the, the club itself is, is on a very professional trajectory in, in that sense. So, you, you know, it's not just an on-the-field progression, it's off-the-field progression as well. Yeah, we've been pretty um, diligent with the way we've, we've, we've built. Um, yeah, we knew the project would take uh, five years and, yeah, the goal yeah, over a period of time was to, yeah. Uh, win a league and cement ourselves in that league and then challenge the year after. Um, yeah, to ensure that, yeah, we understood, yeah, that we had to build the squad the right way. And look, probably the hardest part was just the, the inqualities yeah, of, of how the, the system is set up with MPL juniors and the point deductions of players that can build or, or, or gain. And yeah. Players, yeah. No, it's, it's a horrible system. It's, yeah, it's so unfair to have MPL juniors. Uh, yeah, but but yeah. on a good news story, Steve, this will be the last year of the MPL Juniors. There's a whole new system coming in next year that's been... Um, well, in about time, yeah, yeah. It just hasn't worked at all. It's been an absolute uh, disaster. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, everyone's very keen still to find out yeah, what, what the detail is for next next year and beyond and how long it will take before there's, yeah, um, yeah evenness across yeah, uh, yeah. All, all, all teams in State League 1, 2 and also those in MPL that that haven't had MPL juniors like ourselves, you know, Western Knights. But also um, I think it's, in, 
it's important that people like yourself and the clubs that have been developing juniors don't wait to find out what happens, that you are part of the, the decision-making group that decides what we'll have because, you know, we do know what doesn't work. We've done that too, for too long now. Um, people hark back to the good old JSA days and the district system and everything else, and that in itself had some problems, and we need to invent something new which is going to benefit the kids coming through. Yeah, yeah. Look, we've lost eighty-three um, kids from the age of twelve that have gone to NPL clubs in the last five years. Um, so, how, how do you build an under-18s program when every decent player at the age of yeah between twelve and sixteen leaves for uh, NPL? So, yeah. Look, yeah. I, I, I think there's plenty of technical uh, experts out there um, that. Are, but it, but it was worse than that, Steve. You lost 83 kids who didn't all end up playing MPL. And the ones that didn't end up playing MPL may not have even come back to you, may not have even come back to the game because they've gone, oh, well, what's the point? I'm not going to be a, a professional footballer. And everyone's chasing that 1% dream. You know, it's, it's, it's a, a, a minute fraction of people playing football that actually make a living out of it. Yeah, correct. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah, there's certainly need to tweak. I think the junior system at the moment, or the junior season, is about eight, eight, eighteen weeks. Or um, yeah, which for me is just not long enough. Uh, yeah, you know, kids need to be playing, and um, they need to be playing as, as, as often as possible. So um, yeah, it's a pretty short season, eighteen weeks. It's hard to um, have for kids to get better in, in that short space of time. Um, of course, it is. So, yeah, and, and what we're finding now with all, all, all players and parents is, um, there's a real thirst. Uh, for more opportunities outside of that uh, 18 weeks. We're, we're, we're finding the programs now that we're putting together. You know, it's close to a 46-week uh, season for, for, for junior kids as well. Um, we've just finished up here today with the uh, under-8s under tournament that we, that we had, yeah. um, which we've got eight teams competing with Red Star, Sorrento and Quinns. And, Fantastic. Uh, yeah, yeah no, they, 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 they want to play. Um, yeah. now, this, this was a progression from... Players that were in sixes and sevens last year transferred to under eight this year in the bigger field, and yeah, for now the best part of fourteen weeks they've had a, a tournament that's uh, developed those kids, and it's been wonderful. Um, it coordinates with our markets on a Saturday morning, yeah. Um, and it, it's what you know, families want, so we've got to yeah, find ways to keep putting a ball at the uh, the feet of children and giving them opportunities to play. And the other thing is that we, we've got to ruin that, that label of MPL, but it's not and hasn't been a badge of quality or assurance. There's clubs, non-MPL clubs, and you're one of them that have been running junior programs for a long, long time, very successfully, um, that provide just as good a coaching um, and upbringing and probably a more realistic pathway than some of the MPL clubs. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah we've had to really work hard and you know the work Richard Garcia has done over the last 18 months with our juniors has, has been incredible mm. um, but yeah we, we're coming from a, a long way back there so our, our junior program is still a long way from where we'd like it to be but uh, yeah we would we draw a lot of in, inspiration from uh, you know some of the, the clubs on the east coast and the programs and the opportunities they're putting together for the children and uh, yeah we've got a working group on that and hopefully in the next uh, couple of years we can have a, a really strong um, development program but also community pathway program for for Had, families and players that aren't interested in that high level yeah. um, and, mm. and aren't, aren't looking for that intensity that we can balance both ways, we certainly don't just want to become a, uh, a club that offers um, uh, look, I've, I've yeah, said a, this, a late pathway. I've said this a number of times. Really, the, the job of an under-8s coach isn't an elite pathway. It's to teach those kids to love the game because if they love the game at 8, they'll still love it at 60 and they'll still play at any level they can. Um, 
Have you noticed an upsurge in, in inquiries for um, registrations for your juniors? Yeah, we've, 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 we've opened up some, some registrations, but yeah. um, not, not, not across all age groups. So there's, no. a, um, there's a real difficulty in, 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 <laughs> with a couple of uh, aspects of it is that if you open it up um, across the board and you uh, oversubscribe and then you have teams and then you're looking for coaches on the run, yeah. there are... Uh, there is a real anger from from parents as to mm. why the clubs run so poorly and how mm. dare you take on so many players before you had coaches. <laughs> uh, it, 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 it's difficult to manage, and uh, yeah. Look, my experience volunteer-based, volunteer-based clubs, yeah, run, yeah, that 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 are, that are community clubs um, are becoming increasingly difficult to run because of the expectations of some of the. Uh, the, the people out there. Yes, yeah, so I've, so I've just signed for Man City. You suddenly, yeah. you suddenly get you know, an extra hundred kids, and you've got to find five, six, you know, coaches. Yeah. And no one's putting up their hand. And these parents have paid a deposit, rightly so, and committed their uh, child to a club. But then you turn around and go, got no coaches, and then the blames on you for not having coaches. So, yeah, um, we're, we've, yeah, we've, we've, uh, we've only opened up sixes to eights at the moment. Yeah, um, and uh, 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 trying something different. And yeah, is, is it the right mm. way? No, but if we don't continue to experiment, you try. what gives us the best uh, um, outcome, then you know, we're trying to learn from, from previous years. Um, and then the other part is yeah, availability. Um, and there's a, yeah, there's, there's a real shortage of greenfields yes. across the state. <laughs> not not only in you know, for, for soccer and football, but you know, for all sports. Sport. Yeah. Um, and what's also yeah made it difficult is, as, as I mentioned, I've, I've just set out junior programs now close to 46 weeks, yeah? Uh, you need to give uh, fields, you know, that resting period in between seasons. Yeah. But then uh, additional to that, you've got uh, all the external tournaments, which, you yeah, uh, know, we're, we're, we're part of that um, program where we've got additional um, events happening outside of the uh, the Football West calendar. But then you've got, you know, things like the Pan, Pack Cup uh, yeah. happening, et cetera, et cetera, and all these sorts of things, yeah, the, uh, I think, the European Cup or whatever uh, uh, is played, etc. So there's all these tournaments. Uh, there's additional clinics, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Then uh, other sports have got increased seasons, so the crossover is larger, and then other teams aren't getting access to their fields. They uh, knock on your door and wanting to borrow your field. So yeah, yeah there, there's, there's some challenges uh, for all clubs. It's not uh, just Kingsway specific. Um, no, no, but yeah, we're lucky. We've got a, an incredible relationship with the council. Um, but yeah, there's some. Uh, some things that you need to navigate to get uh, junior teams on, on, on the field. But I think when you look at the six to eight group is, is one where it's very easy to get a mum-dad coach because generally speaking, one of them's a player somewhere along the line. And I know when my boy started playing 35 years ago, that's that's how I got involved in coaching. But um, it's when you get up into the 12s and 13s that you really do need to have a, a professional or qualified coach that's... Um, independent as independent, well. Doesn't yeah. have a pet, doesn't have a kid in yeah. the team. That's, yeah. my, that's the ideal world, isn't Thanks, it? Buddy. Yeah, your sixes and sevens away set up. You probably need about eight coaches because yeah, um, yeah, they're they're all the mini roo games. So you need um, a whole you know, whole whole army of uh, yeah helpers. Yeah, to, to get oh, you, you need team day. team managers and yeah, yeah, big, all those correct. things. But, yeah, um, yeah, and you, you just got to make sure that the balance is right. That yeah, yeah, um, the, the, those people involved aren't yeah too worried about yeah being the next Jose Mourinho and tactics etc. And <laughs> to make <laughs> runs and all those sort of things. Just let the kids run, play etc. etc. So. Um, I'll get a better feel for it, I think, this year because hopefully we've uh, 
got my son playing and I'm um, really excited. <laughs> and and, and go around and just, yeah, and then speak to other clubs and see how we can yeah. continue to. And, and is it go, hard, um, when you've got your son playing, is it hard being a dad, being that you're part of the club, or are you able to switch off? I'm about to find out. <laughs> <laughs> I, I imagine he's signed up in T-ball as well, isn't he? <laughs> Hopefully, I don't become that Mourinho on the sideline. <laughs> so, uh, no, look, yeah, I think I've got pretty good grounding. My, my father's very quiet, and uh, yeah. I can emulate the way he was on the sidelines, and uh, I'll be pretty happy. I'll just, uh, yeah, as long as he's smiling, then that's the uh, important part. Now, you, you had a pretty good start to the to the uh, night series, and over the the close season, done some really good business in uh, acquiring Aaron Williams and, and Mitch Oxborough. And I've seen um, very lately, you've also signed Joe Knowles. Yeah, we managed to secure Joe, Joe this week, which was a uh, which was a wonderful addition to our team. Um, yeah, and unfortunately, his, uh, his contract was cut short in India. Yeah. Um, and yeah, we uh, yeah through his you know, relationship with uh, with Mitch, they're, they're good mates. We're um, yeah, fortunate enough to sign him, and uh, yeah, it's, it's such an exciting addition to the um, to the squad with yeah Lee and Boland as well. Yeah. Um, we've yeah we've added some you know, great experience. Uh, I think you know, Paddy Lowry is another one of our signings that we'll, yes, we secured from Red Star. So we identified that we needed some, uh, some senior players across uh, yeah, all, all, all areas of the park. And, yeah, the, the work of David Tuff and the, the football department has, has just been sensational. So, um, yeah, we're delighted to have Joe, you know, Aaron, you know, Liam, you know, Paddy. Um, and we picked up a couple of you know, great kids through the uh, the glory um, system as well. Yeah. Um, with, with, and, and I was saying earlier that, you know, there's been a, a lot of words said against the, the Glory's involvement in the league. But when you look at these players, you know, the three players I've mentioned all came back from the or through the Glory system and have come back into the State League. And if you look at every team in the NPL, they've got similar stories. Guys that have been there, they, they've touched the sky. It hasn't quite worked out, but they've come back home. And that just makes the NPL stronger. Yeah, there's a really good crop of uh, kids coming through the uh, the academies at the glory. They're like probably two, yeah, two of our better players last week again. Yeah. And we would work our, our two youngest players that yeah. uh, pull back, and then you know Luke Ewings with his two goals in the second half. He was just electric. It was so exciting to watch. Um, and yeah, every squad needs the balance between those experienced um, players and, and and the young you know talent, which you know, just injects um, a, a different dimension to your team. Um, and <laughs> There's a few clubs in the NPL that have uh, you know, been able to secure some, some young talent and that, uh, yeah. that goes well. But also having a strong amateur setup. You talked about you know, kids that aren't in the NPL. They also need to have um, another avenue to go to. And, you know, under Jason Stern, you've had a very strong and, and consistent amateur side as well. So you know, it's, it's nice to have that side of the club going that you've got people who are playing purely for the, the enjoyment and love of the game. Oh, J- Jason's done a phenomenal job with our uh, with our Sunday teams. Uh, yeah, a wonderful uh, contributor to the club for yeah, the best part of three decades, and he's involved in our at juniors with our sixteens yeah. team. He's uh, he's done the an up and coming goalkeeper, and uh, yeah, what we've seen with our amateurs, the, the promotions I've had, I think, the first division now, and uh, hopefully we you know challenge uh, this, this season, uh, which has been great. So yeah, across all. Aspects of the club, we've uh, yeah, we're, we're delighted with the people we've got, the teams we've got, and the community uh, that continues to come to Kingsway. And Steve, I was just looking at the results from last week's night series games, and uh, did the defenders have a week off? Because obviously, five goals in your games, there was nine goals in the Knights Red Star <laughs> game, uh, seven goals in the Perth Florida game. So, 
Uh, are the defenders coming back this week to make it a bit more tight, or are we all happy with these uh, high-score and entertaining uh, games? Uh, look, the, the, I think that you, you'll find the first couple of weeks of uh, the night series will be pretty, will be pretty loose. A lot of the uh, teams just gaining match fitness, and yeah. um, there's, there's a lot of uh, part to it with you know, in terms of the you know, squad rotation, you know, giving some of the younger players um, a run, and, all, and also trying out new formations. Um, some other teams have started later than others in terms of their preparation. So you'd expect a few more goals and there's been some pretty warm weather as, as well. So it, it all contributes. Um, mm. I'd expect probably similar uh, you know, over, over, over this weekend as well that we'll, we'll see a fair few goals. So, um, yeah, if, if anyone went out to games, I'm sure they'll say, yeah, so the, the quality was high and uh, the play was exciting. So, um, yeah. yeah, it's, it's good so, for the spectators. So, uh... Probably not so good for the coaches, but... Uh, it was a great opening round. Have you just put the kiss of death? Because I was going to come down to watch the uh, to your game uh, tonight at Armadale. So if you put the kiss of death, it's going to be a boring nil-nil game, and everyone else is going to score <laughs> the goals. <laughs> no, let's hope not. AV's done a great job with the with the squad he's built at uh, yeah. Armadale as well. I think um, they're just uh, just going about their business very quietly at the moment. Mm. But, uh, it, I, I, it's, it's a beautiful little venue to, um, to watch it games is. at. Yeah, it's, it's enclosed. The, the surface there is always um, yeah immaculately. Uh, the Armadale Army uh, provide good good banter yeah, and voice. Yeah, so yeah. I, I think it's a great um, Now, just tonight. just before we we close out, um, people decry the amount of publicity around our game, but I know another passion of yours is baseball. And there was a game held last night, and I cannot find a result anywhere for it. Uh, yeah, look, it's uh, the, the, the Perth Heat were, were a phenomenal game on the championship series. They uh, they defeated the Adelaide Giants four runs to three. They walked it off in the thirteenth inning. Finished after eleven o'clock at night. Went for you know, I think close to four and a half hours. Yeah. Um, and then the teams were on a, on a flight at seven twenty this morning for the game to an Adelaide. So they look at, with that type of result, it's hard to get it in, in the paper. I know. Um, yeah. yeah. Which was which was a, yeah is a real shame. Hopefully they uh, they do the business tonight when they're sixteenth claps. I do. I do hope so. Look, uh, yeah. thank you very much for being on, Steve. It's always a pleasure talking to you. Well, I'm any, so any positive about you. Your connection to your community, your council, and the game, and uh, and for what you do for for both sports. Um, thank you. No, we appreciate the sport, and uh, you will look forward to chat throughout the course of the season. No worries, Steve. Thank you. Steve Nilkowski, Olympic Kingsway. Um, now, we did get a message in from Pete Skeeler, no other than the stats man himself. Oh, here we go. Um, <laughs> the naming of futsal comes from the Portuguese language, about to murder two languages here. <laughs> Football de Salo from the Spanish <laughs> Football de Sala or Football de Salon. Um, all translatable as indoor football, but during the second World Championships held in Madrid, the Spanish name Football Football solo was used, so that's where futsal uh, has come from. Every day's a school day. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I've murdered thanks, well, actually three, 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 yeah, three yeah, English, Spanish, English, and Portuguese. Spanish, and Portuguese. <laughs> I am an overachiever. Look, Jim, Bravo. thank you very much for your contribution this morning. Always good to have you in the studio. Um, always good for banter and also um, you know, your knowledge of the game. Um, for those listening, thank you for listening. Uh, I think Penny or Hughes on next week. Hugh is actually over playing in a championship. Himself, today. yes, yes, in the Sabutio Championships. So, uh, yeah, yeah, I could never get on with Sabutio. No, no, 
Maybe I'm maybe I'm that generation. I prefer kicking I don't a real know what's ball. What's happened here? But my mouse has oh. disappeared. <laughs> <laughs> we've gone two hours without know, any technical. Now, now we've got a gremlin in the machine, yeah. which is really really annoying. Um, no, are we on overtime for this? <laughs> no, no, not yet. We're, we're just about. Oh, here we go. It's back. It's back in the room. I don't know what happened there. Oh, I um, popped out to get some cheese. Yeah, we've got Lenny very very patiently in the background. Thank you for listening. <laughs> the show will be back on next week. Um, normal service will be resumed so thank you for listening this has been the World Football Programme Join us again next week at the same time for the World Football Programme on Radio Fremantle 107.9 FM